Greetings and welcome to TW Now. I'm Scott Winnale, and welcome back to our returning audience. As we mentioned last week, this short program and the next are pre-recorded because our staff is away celebrating the annual Fall Holy Days, as outlined in the pages of your Bible. We'll resume our regular live programming in two weeks. This week we're going to focus on what the Bible calls the Day of Atonement. You've probably heard its Hebrew name Yom Kippur. What we're going to do now is talk about this day. We're going to go into the Bible, we're going to dig into the Scripture and see what God has to say about this day and what it means for all of mankind, including for you and for me. Joining me on the program today is Mr. Jerry Ruddleston. Mr. Ruddleston is a longtime employee of the Living Church of God. And more importantly, in relation to this particular program, Mr. Ruddleston has a long background in history studying and keeping the Day of Atonement. And so he's going to bring that with him into the show today. Mr. Ruddleston, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Good to be here. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and jump in with the first question and just ask, why are these holy days included in the Bible? For the benefit of the audience, why does God expect us to keep the annual holy days and the Day of Atonement? Sure. We reviewed those on the on the program that you saw last week on trumpets, but just as very briefly, that these are the God's master plan for all of mankind. It's a wonderful time, uh, and you'll notice that there's a thread throughout the Bible, and these 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 holy days actually outline the plan of prophecy. It's it's fascinating to get into. Last time we talked about the Feast of Trumpets uh, being a pivotal holy day in the plan of God, one that transitions from uh, prophecies past to prophecies future, and actually points us to the return, literal return, of Jesus Christ right. to the earth and the resurrection of His saints, uh, which is exciting. But that leads us to this holy day, the Day of Atonement. It falls about ten days later mm -hmm. uh, on the literal calendar. Uh, has a, a meaning that is unique to itself, but it also connects to that. And so what I think we should probably do is go to Leviticus 23. That sounds good. <clears throat> and as we go there, just a little bit of background for our viewers. Remember that Paul made a comment, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of Scripture is inspired by God. And he was talking about both the Old and New Testaments. But he said, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction and instruction in righteousness. We can use the Old Testament for doctrine. It's not thrown away, it's not nailed to the cross. It's actually something that even Christ and the Apostles and Paul used to create doctrine and an understanding of how to keep the Holy Days in the New Testament mm -hmm. as well. So Leviticus 23 and verse 1 tells us that the Lord, the Eternal, um, spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the eternal, which you proclaim to be holy convocations. Holy convocation is a commanded assembly. He says, These are my feasts. And that, that being who was the Lord there, uh, the eternal, is the one who later became Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, These are not Jewish feasts, as some would uh, mistakenly label it, but these are actually my feasts. These, these are the feasts of the one who became Jesus Christ, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who doesn't change. And so these are feasts ongoing. That's correct. Um, atonement here, the Day of Atonement, verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, um, also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement 
It shall be a holy convocation, again, a commanded assembly for you, that you shall afflict your souls. And we're going to come back to that concept mm -hmm. of afflicting our souls. Uh, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you shall do no work on that day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And then he goes on to talk about how important it is to afflict our souls on, on that particular day, lest we be cut off. Verse 32, it says, actually verse 31, it says, You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings. So uh, forever, to my knowledge, hasn't ceased yet. Has not ceased yet. <clears throat> it says then, uh, verse 32, you sh It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And by the way, um, again, for our viewers, the, he's talking about the tenth day of the month, the ninth day of the month, of the seventh month. This is on the Hebrew calendar. And mm -hmm. so when you overlap the Hebrew calendar with our calendar, uh, this is the seventh month falls usually between September, October, uh, just because of the differences in the number of days in the calendars. We know the man, mankind has arbitrarily made midnight to midnight what a day is but god says actually a day is sunset to sunset right so that's how it works so this it begins at sunset on at the end of the ninth day and goes to sunset on on the end of the tenth day. that's correct yes um, this concept what can you tell us about this concept of afflicting our souls well here's where it gets it interesting sounds, sounds sort of mean <laughs> afflicting your soul it actually means to fast and you know today fasting is somewhat popular in some circles. We hear about intermittent fasting, doing this or that kind of thing, fasting for this, fasting for that. But fasting actually means to go without food and water, that none of that passes your lips and goes into your body. It's truly mm. an affliction. And that, that actually makes this holy day unique among the rest of the, the remaining six, because all of the rest are feast days. I mean, you right. literally can eat and feast, whereas this one is a fast day, yet it's still a holy day, it's still a festival, and as we just read, you still celebrate on this day, even though you've been fasting from food and water for 24 hours. That's right. Um, well, it's a part of atonement is, and we'll, we, maybe we'll get to that a little bit here, but part of atonement, atonement is, is the reconciliation of sin, and it's important, you're humbling yourself, we don't have time to go to it today, but if you'll read Isaiah 58, it talks about fasting and what it means to humble yourself. You're not fasting for yourself. Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing it how God wants you to. And there's a great blessing from doing that. Well, and that meaning of fasting, humbling yourself, repenting of sin, sin separates us from God. That's correct. And so as, as we're able to... Uh, repent of our sins, and it's a whole lot easier to do that when you're humble than when you're <laughs> full of vanity, right? If, if we're full of vanity, we don't have sin. But God does warn about fasting for unjust reasons, because you can fast and still be thinking of yourself to mm. still have the vanity. True. So He's reminding us that when you're fasting, what you're truly doing it for. It, it does help us humble ourselves, separate ourselves from sin, come out away from the world and the ways of the world. That's right. And really become more, in the English, uh, atonement works really well because you can break the word apart. It be, helps us become more at one with, with God. Yes. You know, it's interesting, just before we, we jump to the more the meaning of the day, uh, atonement actually was kept by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts 27 verse 9 even mentions that he was um, not wanting to travel because of the fast 
that was taking place. This is some 30 years after Christ's death. And we see Paul was keeping that period of time, but he was writing to a church who was still keeping this Day of Atonement um, well into the New Testament period. That's correct. So what does this day mean? Uh, maybe just in a nutshell, can you describe it? And then we'll go into a couple of scriptures. Well, in, in, in a in nutshell, you, you, kind of, you kind of already touched on it around the edges uh, about at atoning for our sins. And in the plan of God, what really happens on this day is that Christ had to be sacrificed, as we'll find out, and Satan is put away. So we have the plan of God which begins in the spring goes through the fall. We have, we've had trumpets, the blowing of the seventh trumpet when, when uh, Christ returns, when the uh, saints are resurrected, and now something's getting ready to happen even in the future, but first Satan has to be put away. And that's kind of what this day is about. And this is what makes it exciting. Yes. <clears throat> um, I'm, I am going to reference the Holy Days God's Master Plan. We don't have time to go into tremendous detail with this Holy Day today, but the booklet will give you an opportunity to learn even more about this day. So if you want to find out about it, order it, download it, go to tomorrowsworld.org, and it will be available there for you free of charge. So, as we think about scriptural background for the Day of Atonement, again, we, we need to go back to Leviticus. And I'm not going to turn there to take the time, but I want to summarize the events of Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 talks about the royal priesthood that came before God on the Day of Atonement once a year. It was the only day of the year that the priest could actually enter the Holy of Holies, the room in the back of the tabernacle where God literally dwelt among his people. On that day, there was a very special activity that took place, a ceremony, and it took place with two goats. Mm -hmm. one, one goat was separated and was likened unto Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That goat actually was sacrificed. Its, its neck was slid, it was bled, and it was offered up as a sacrifice. It was a lamb, if you will, that pointed to the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, who would come and sacrifice himself for our sins, for, for the repentance of our sins. And it points out that our sins can only be forgiven through his sacrifice. Yeah. Nothing we can actually do right. his shed blood. to deserve that. His shed blood had to happen yes. for us. That second goat is what's interesting, and it relates to this day more specifically. Now, when you go to Bible commentaries, many of them will, will say, well, this second goat depicted Jesus Christ as well. But when you look at the mm. symbology, that's not the case. The first goat died. The second goat lived. And so there was a casting of lots, essentially a rolling of the dice that took place to determine which goat was which. That second goat, the, the priest laid hands on and committed the sins of Israel onto the head of this goat, representing that it was sort of behind the sins That's correct. of the Israelites. And then this goat was taken by the hands of, we're told, a strong man into the wilderness, and he wasn't killed. He was let go. He was released. Well, if you turn over to Revelation 20, we can kind of pick that up here a little bit. By the way, a, a fascinating thing, too, by the way, is that the whole book of Leviticus 16 is basically devoted to the Day of Atonement. The, so the, that's, the chapter, yes. It certainly is, because God, God went into great detail about it. But in Revelation 20, and let's just read verses 1 through 3, and we'll pick up what we're talking about here, about that goat being cast into the wilderness. And it says here, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, 
having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, it tells us what next coming here, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him to the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So this is actually getting, you know, when you get down to verse 3, it's setting up for the next holy day, which we'll get to in our next program. Yeah, it's interesting to me here. You see, when you, when you think about Leviticus 16 and these passages in Revelation 20 together, you actually see the overlap. Certainly. You see that they're talking about the two same things. This strong man back in Leviticus 16 who took the goat into the wilderness after the <laughs> sins of, the, of Israel had been heaped on it and, and, and let it alone, basically so it couldn't find its way back. It couldn't be involved with society anymore. We see the corollary here in Revelation chapter chapter 20 about Satan the devil and his demons being cast into this bottomless pit. Uh, apparently with, in, in a way, the sins of the world heaped on their heads. No, Satan can't take the sins of the world away. Christ did that. But there's a level of culpability, mm -hmm. responsibility that Satan and his demons have for influencing humanity. And so they're, they're taken out of the way, if you will, with this holy day. They're bound for a thousand years which is really exciting. It's going to be a very exciting time, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you think... And it's real. It's real. Please let me say that. It's real. Yeah. These are not some sort of fictitious events. This is a true plan. And by keeping the Holy Days, you understand it even more. Yeah, I think that's one of the sad things about much of worldly Christianity and even the book of Revelation. They write off Revelation as an allegory. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just this work of fiction. It's interesting poetry. It's interesting to look at, but we really can't know what it says. But when we begin to understand it in the context of the rest of Scripture and the Holy Days, it gives us insight into what is actually going to happen. That's right. And so, as, as you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about Feast of Trumpets, the previous Holy Day, you've got Jesus Christ here, after being gone for almost 2,000 years, or for 2,000 years, returning with the sound of a trumpet mm -hmm. and a shout, um, returning with 10,000s of his saints, we're told elsewhere in the scripture, to take his place as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the earth. But that can't happen until the current God of this world, as 2 Corinthians 4.4, labels Satan, un until he's gone. That's you, you can't have two in charge. That's why I keep referring to him as the true king, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Satan masks as that, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And so you've got this day, this day of atonement that we celebrate every year as a commanded assembly in perpetuity going forward. And God wants us to keep it to be reminded of this, that Christ is going to return, but until he can take his rightful place on the earth as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the adversary, as Satan is called, has to be removed. Yes. That's powerful meaning. As you think about this holy day, because you've celebrated it for a long time and studied it a lot, what does this holy day mean to you? What, what do you look forward to about its fulfillment as we see in the, in the Word of God? When we're preparing for this, you know, you're, you're thinking back as your time in the church and time understanding and, pra and practicing this. I will admit, as a young man, I focused in on the fast, obsessed with the fast. When does the fast start? When does the fast end? When can I have my last 
glass of water or can I have my next glass of water? And certainly it was, it was still exciting because I knew what was coming next, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the most exciting times of the whole year for the church and for individuals. But I, I admit as a young man, that's what I did. But as you get older, you realize once again, this is a glorious time. Number one, you have Christ once again reminding us that he died for our sins. And that means, yes, that's a sad event and I could never have, nothing I could ever do to deserve that. But it means that my sins will be forgiven. And it means that Satan will be put away. Because in this world, as we see what's going on, that's the only thing that can happen. Christ has to return and he's got to put him away. It has a much deeper meaning than it did as a child, I can tell you that. You know, when I think about this holy day, <clears throat> I, I can't help but think of one of the titles that Satan is given by God in Ephesians 2.2. He's called the Prince of the Power of the Air. That's right. And we mentioned that he's the God of this age, as, as 2 Corinthians talks about. But the Prince of the Power of the Air, who works on the sons of disobedience, uh, what does that mean? Well, I think in our day and age, when so much of what we correspond with happens through the air. Uh, you know, we can pull out a device and send messages and texts and pictures and video and music all through the air. And, and we're just human beings and we've only been doing this literally <laughs> for a couple of generations, or not even that, with this, this high level of technology. How much more can the prince of the power of the air send messages through the air and, and we receive them? What will it be like? I like to think about this. What will it be like when Satan and his demons are bound in the pit for a thousand years and can no longer influence anyone. No more uh, fiery darts, as we're told he shoots in Ephesians chapter 6. No more fiery darts of hate and greed and jealousy and lust, depression, anxiety, worry, fear. No more of that coming from him pushing us in certain directions. If the audience will stay tuned, it's the glorious time that we call the millennium. Yeah, the millennium, pictured by the Feast of Tabernacles. That's right. I want to thank you for being on the program today and for sharing some of your thoughts and your insights. <clears throat> this has been an exciting program to talk to you about, actually talking about these holy days that are in your Bible, uh, now, today, with the Day of Atonement. Today we've given you just a tiny bit of an insight into what the Bible has to say about this Day of Atonement and the coming time that it points to. This Holy Day is clearly outlined in our Bibles. Its command was given by Jesus Christ anciently in the book of Leviticus. The Holy Day was kept by Jesus Christ and His disciples and even by the Apostle Paul in the early church. And it should be kept by all of us as His disciples today. It is, as we read, a statute forever. And it's clearly stated that way in Leviticus chapter 23. The truth is, when we lose track of God's holy days, as sadly so many have, we begin to lose track of God's plan for mankind. To find out more about the Day of Atonement that we've talked about today, and the other holy days God gave us as a blessing and as a guide, we encourage you to check out our free booklet, The Holy Days God's Master Plan, in which we reveal the answers to what so many Christians today see as irrelevant mysteries. You can read or download the booklet at tomorrowsworld.org. And you can find us right here again next week for TW Now. Next week, we'll delve into the biblical Feast of Tabernacles. Have you heard about it? Join us next week and find out more.